Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Jam, truly outrageous. Ooh, Jam is a franchise. Oh, Marvel Comics and Advertisers. Jam, it was a cartoon from the 80s. You're gonna learn all about this stuff. Jam is the episode we're covering on Wizard and the Bruiser. This is the Wizard. This is the Bruiser. <laughs> we have a to tell a story about Jam. I don't know why. I'll just sing like this until it's time to end the show. My name is Alden. Our story starts with a synopsis of Jam. All right, I'm not gonna actually do that the entire show, but you get the idea, ladies and gentlemen. Jake and I are here to discuss Jim and the Holograms, the phenomenal franchise. And we've got some guests, Jake. Uh, well, obviously, we, you know, the, the classic 80s franchises, you know, we talked about Transformers, we uh, talked about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but Jim was uh, outside of our demographic back in the 80s, so we had to bring in some ringers, some true heads who are all about that glitter, fashion, and fame lifestyle, and it just so happens uh, both of them live with us, so... Uh, on the mics, we have my beautiful fiance Marie Luongo. How you doing? Hey, how's it going? And uh, for is this the first episode appearance? Is this the first mainline? I think Lexi. So Lexi, my wife, is here to discuss Jim with us. Welcome to the show, Lexi. Hello, Lexi, my wife Robbins. I think my <laughs> wife is your, my middle name. Lexi's her own woman and she's she answers to no one and I do not own her. I just wanna I just wanna relinquish any sort of sense of ownership. This is Lexi, the independent woman here to talk about you. <laughs> Our guests are not here as life partners. They are here as gem girls. As life oh, yes. warriors. They are here as life, <laughs> life uh, combatants. And uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful time to have you guys here. And this is actually a Patreon-sponsored episode from Cameron Eagle, uh, Ingle, a.k.a. Camstar VR on Twitch. Holla, holla. I'm so excited to do this because Cammy is my friend. We went and saw, uh, we went and did Summer Games Done Quick together out in Minneapolis and uh, so just wanted to give shout outs to that um, and this message is a little dated but I'm going to read it because it brings back incredibly fond memories of uh, a time in my Twitch stream uh, with some char- with some fun characters, fun ladies 
Lady Death Squad is an all-female group of lady gamers and streamers on Twitch. You can watch us live stream learning new multiplayer games and playing old favorites. Members include Cammy, which is Camstar VR, Lexi, Lexicutioner, Amanda, Amanda Bonanza, Lolo, aka Yule Janitor, and Momo, aka Momo DD, and Fabs, aka Fabrizio, and Nuka Babe, aka Nuka Babe 23. And uh, they no longer stream on Thursday nights at 10 p.m., but I hope they do bring some sort of Lady Death Squad uh, situation back. Follow us on Twitter at Lady Death Squad for schedule updates. Camstar VR is out there streaming as well. Check out her stuff. And uh, Cami, I'm so excited to do this. Let's get into it. So I think, well, basically, we got to defer to the true heads right here. Uh, what was it like to be a gem girl back in the day? Like, what did it entail? What was part of the accoutrement? Lexi, what, what did you, what were your gem connections back in the day? Well, I not only watched the show, but I had all the dolls and I had wigs and all like a little setup of a like it would essentially be rock band <laughs> equipment today, but tiny drums and microphone and guitar. And I would pretend that I was in a band. And so, uh, yeah, it was a um, really big part of my maybe four to five year old self. <laughs> and uh, I actually had to text my mother because uh, I was also four or five and I couldn't remember having any dolls or any of that. And my mother sent me pictures uh, of myself, five years old, stapled into a vinyl gem smock, which I wore not for Halloween. Well, for Halloween, but just on days because I felt like it to the point where she had to staple it together. Like, I deeply <laughs> wanted to be Jem. I had the weird face mask. I dressed up as her. Like, I was very much into Wait, what's the weird Jem face mask? Jem. What is... Oh, my God. So, this, <laughs> the smock is just, like, this pink vinyl thing that has, like, a picture of Jem, and it vaguely looks like her dress. But they gave you a, like, plastic face mask that was molded with, like pink blonde hair and just like weird blue eyeshadow or something. It didn't even look like gem. It was just one of those creepy old Halloween face masks. <laughs> so there are pictures of me just like carrying it around like a serial killer, like by my side. Just an adorable like, little yeah. girl carrying an adult woman's face. Yeah. In her hand as she goes around trick or treating. Oh yeah. Cause God. they didn't want to wear it. It was uncomfortable. That <laughs> sounds Oh my god! I think I. Oh god! It's terrifying. Uh, oh, you yeah. looked no, up the pictures hideous. of it. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's horrifying. So yeah, I. This has been largely my first exposure to Jim. I will say. Also, I hope if you have pictures, Marie, Lexi, I hope you post up the picture you showed me of you as <laughs> such a young girl, all gymmed up. I think you were dressed as Aja, actually. Maybe yeah. you had the blue mm -hmm. my hair. hair was blue. Wow. Oh. Aja was rad. And your friend was Jim, I think, in the picture. Uh -huh. And you guys look so cute, and it's so adorable. And it really gave me some nostalgia juice on this one. Because I, of course, this one went right past me. It was girl show for girls, you know? And I'm like, man, guy, I don't cry at movies or do anything like that until I learned <laughs> how to be in touch with my emotions and actually that I'm a huge, huge, gigantic pop fan now. And uh, I missed out. And I loved getting to explore this show and watch episodes Together with Lexi, last night we were drinking some drinks and just enjoying the sounds, just dancing in our in our chairs. I think that's <laughs> why my my favorite thing about the show, besides just some of the more batshit insane episodes plot-wise, 
is that the music and the and the music videos were so fun. It made me miss when MTV was MTV. And I just, I loved it. And like, not all the songs are amazing. They had to churn them out. I believe it was like 180 songs. It's completely mm-hmm. insane. But uh, I always just had such a blast. Every time they launched into a music video, I just got like giddy. Jake, how about you? I definitely remember watching it because it was just always part of the Saturday night, Saturday morning cartoon lineup. But I never quite, in turn, I, I was too young. It was the late 80s. I was five years old. And I just, it was just more colors and noises. But it, I definitely stayed tuned in. There was something about the show that was compelling. And it turns out, as we'll get into later, there was a reason for that. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of stuck around as this kind of 80s, linchpin franchise that has always been around in the air in pop culture and I never quite internalized why besides the aesthetics until we started watching the shows again for this week's episode and it deserves so much more of its due like it is kind you know we we did our episode about Steven Universe and all the revolutionary things that did with catering to all ages to balancing action and emotions to just having uh different kind of representation and Jim did all of that before the 90s it's kind you know uh not only that but the aesthetics are so remarkable yes before there were anime girls to chill and study to uh, youtube mixes Jim was vaporwave Jim was (laughs) 80s excess fantasy pastel anime before as a generation we decided that was our perfect uh, (laughs) aesthetic I remember I remember Lex even commented and I I loved this aspect of it too that like most everybody has like blue or pink or purple hair everyone everyone's hair is just totally not like your standard color it's just this vibrant amazing world I loved the color scheme of this world for sure. Yeah, they're all anime protagonists. Yes. Each and every one of them. <laughs> it's how how bright and how colorful can you be? Like, can you take the 80s aesthetic and push it to the nth degree? It's just every trope is there, right? Like every fashion trope. I love it. The other thing that I just need to get its due, because this is what rocked my world the hardest. Marie, you got to back me up on this. The Misfits are yes. maybe the best cartoon villains <laughs> the oh, in the history. Absolutely. Of children's cartoons. I'm talking Roxy. I'm talking Stormer. I'm talking Pizzazz. <laughs> and to a much, much lesser extent, Jetta. They are chaotic. They are just, they are after their own goals. They're charismatic. They're relentless. They are relentless. And several episodes revolve around them just being violent nightmare terrorists. Yeah, really scared. <laughs> making mischief. We're making mischief. That's the other thing is the Misfits songs are so much better than Gem yes. songs. Like Clearly the, the songs, people, and they admit this as well, that they <laughs> by far enjoyed making music for the Misfits more than Jim and the Holograms or anybody else. Uh, the, the voice that... Britta, the, I'm sorry, there's always two different voice actors for each of the roles. So Jem's singing uh, voice, Britta Phillips, I think, yes, what is incredible, and she's still working to this day, and she has an amazing voice. But all the Jem songs, after a while, blur into this thing of just like, because caring is something you do with your friends, and when you care, you reach out and your family caring. <laughs> and then the Misfits song. <laughs> Misfits song the Misfits like, songs would down o- the school. <laughs> Set Take it a, a shit on the floor, floor, floor. <laughs> 
fuck, fuck, take a shit on a fart, shoot a senator in the leg. Find an animal before it bites you. Yeah, just insanity, just complete psychopath. Break into Absolutely. the bank, break into the bank and steal all the gold. Steal all the gold. Like, it's just raw chaos, and I love it. They are so cool. Uh, I feel like we are now 11 minutes into the episode, so we should maybe give a synopsis for anybody who has no clue what Jim and the Holograms is. This is uh, an animated music television series that ran from 1985 to 1988 for 65 episodes about a woman named Jerrica Benton, the owner and manager of Starlight Music, who takes on the persona of Jim using a holographic computer named Synergy, built by her father to be the ultimate audiovisual entertainment synthesizer, in which she and her groups, the Holograms, perform big stage shows, but also maybe get killed, almost maybe almost get killed every episode by the Misfits, their rival band. And there's so many other elements going on. I mean, the crazy thing to me, too, is just that Jerrica is like an orphan. I mean, we start with the death of this woman's father in the very first episode, which I think speaks towards, I'm bringing it up now, because I think that it speaks towards how this show really goes for it in these ways, these surprising ways that take a large step beyond just some kind of uh, doll marketing scheme, you know? Marie, how would you describe the show? Like, what, what is, what it's, b besides on paper, like, what is Gem about? I mean, Gem is, Gem is when you are a little girl and you say that you want to be, like, a princess and a nurse, and that, that's Gem. <laughs> like, Gem, Gem, Gem is Batman for girls. She's at once, like, the responsible woman, the business owner, runs the orphanage, and she's also the pop star. She's the embodiment of what you thought you wanted to be when you were a little kid. You're like, when I'm an adult, that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> and that show is written for kids, but it is about adult women. So you, when you're little, you get to like see your adult life in magical fugue state technicolor. It's incredible. <laughs> Lex, does that sound about right? Oh, absolutely, but it, it has a message. All of them have this beautiful message for children, uh, you know, and and it, it also had a lot of unwanted children. <laughs> so if you were feeling maybe yeah. unwanted as a child, mm -hmm. then just turn on Jim and look at all of the orphans having a good time at the Starlight House. And <laughs> so many unwanted children in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, what is that? <laughs> There's gotta be some reason for that. I don't even know, but yeah, it's, I feel like they're always dealing with orphans and stuff back in the 80s. So on sure. the side of good, we have Jem slash Jerrica Benton, the dueling personalities, and then the holograms, which were her si literal sisters. Uh, there was Aja, uh, Shayna, Kimber, her redheaded little, like the youngest of the group. And then they added Rhea and her, and Jem's boyfriend, Rio, who was also in love with Jem. So we had like a love triangle thing going on. And there'd be some like, uh, what, what would you describe Marie, what would you describe the 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 trio the triangle as? Oh, I mean, uh, it was it was well. I mean, Rio was the original fuckboy. Like he was <laughs> cheating on Jerrica with herself, and for some reason, like Jerrica didn't have a problem with the dinner. Like that romance always took like a backseat on the show because it wasn't important. The misfits were trying to murder them, so right. like priorities, like it didn't matter. It was just for some good adult, like, kissy scenes as we cut to commercial. <laughs> and then on the side of evil, there's the misfits who we talked about. There's 
Uh, in the later episode, there's the Stingers, including Riot, which we should talk about Riot at some point because sure. holy shit, holy I've never shit, seen Riot. never seen such a magnanimous <laughs> West German fuck machine. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the scenes, though, all of the evil is not done by Cobra Commander. It's not done by the Shredder. It's not done by Megatron. The true villain of the series is Eric fucking Raymond. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Who is just the sleaziest 80s business guy. Yes. And he doesn't want to conquer the world. He doesn't want to build a, a weather machine. He's just shitty. <laughs> He's just a shitty guy who... Did he even, like, murder... Uh, Jem's dad? Like, no, he's... No, no, no. Jem's dad died from some unnamed terminal illness. So, yeah, just every episode, he's just like, I'm going to get people wrapped up into very exploitive music contracts. That's it. Yes. That, yeah, that was the villainy. <laughs> I'm going to skirt intellectual property law and rig talent shows. How ironic that Scooter Braun ends up being pulled into this <laughs> later on in the episode in a very shitty and similar way. How, how real life mirrors fiction it's incredible we'll talk about that when we get to the live action film that uh should never have been um yeah yeah it, it is yeah are you are you ready shall we get into the history of jim now uh I, I i would have to start with the weird part where you can't mention jim without mentioning gi joe and transformers and this is because of griffin Bacall Advertising, a global advertising agency founded in 1978 by Tom Griffin and Joe Bacall, with one of their first clients being Hasbro, which led to them putting out big advertising campaigns for toy lines such as G.I. Joe and Transformers, which ended up being wildly successful. And it made me re remember, too, did Barbie have a show? If not as we understand it, the 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 juggernaut that was the Hasbro, Sunbow, Griffin Bacall Combination. This was like novel at the time. Yeah. Th and there was stuff like He-Man that came before it, but they really kind of perfected the format half of the tour commercial, commercial format, half hour commercial <laughs> with the help of Marvel Productions, because they had all those comic book writers on staff right. to kind of flesh out the universe and build compelling stories around them. And uh, if you go back to our Transformers episode, the history of Hasbro, especially around this time, is fascinating. They mm -hmm. had a new CEO. They were making record profits. They were kind of just a huge mover and shaker. And after the success of G.I. Joe, and uh, this is, I think Transform, there's a little bit of overlap, but G.I. Joe was their first big hit that kind of proved the formula. They were ready to make a run at Barbie. Yes. So what about uh, Griffin Bacall and Sunbow are you, are you, do you want to get into? So yeah, so Sunbow Entertainment, an animation studio founded in 1980 by Griffin Bacall Advertising, located in New York City and based off of their success with those other properties, G.I. Joe and whatnot, uh, they uh, end up moving on to try to, like, like you said, compete with Barbie and corner that market as well. And so... They have Super Sunday in 1984. Now, Super uh, Super Sunday or Super Saturday, depending on what market you were in, uh, it was a half an hour block with four six-minute matinee segments of Jim, Bigfoot, and the Muscle Machines, robotics. Those are uh, monster trucks. It was a yes. cartoon about the adventures of disembodied monster trucks. Yes, uh, robotics and inhumanoids. And this aired, for the most part, on Sunday mornings starting in October of 1985. Just wanted to set the stage to really just jump right into 
Christy Marks's story because how fucking much did you guys fall in love with Christy Marks over the oh my course God, this in- week? Incredible. Christy Marks is one of the most powerhouse creative forces of our childhood that deserves way more credit and more way people more. need to know her name. So the dolls themselves have a weirdly interesting story too because okay. before they could make the cartoon, Hasbro had to make the toy line. Yes. And it all started with a man named Bill Sanders. Yes. Who was an advertising executive and an art director and kind of just worked tangentially within the toy industry. And this is, I can't quite get a lot of information about the guy. Uh, A Google search reveals uh, no interviews with him. I found one creepy gem fan site that looks like it was built in 1993. They all look like that. What are you talking (laughs) about? The GemCon website, all of them. They all. It's very Web 1.0, the gem fandom. (laughs) GeoCities. Just a bunch of creepy pictures where someone visited Bill Sanders' grave and just put gem dolls all over the tombstone. (laughs) But according to an interview with Christy Marks, I haven't seen this confirmed anywhere else, but Bill Sanders himself was a game man and he had an original idea where the toy line was a combination fashion doll action figure and the band was a boy band who turned into superheroes through the use of holographic transformations Mm -hmm. the idea was then kind of helped with a uh, husband and wife couple named Joe and Barbara Highland who kind of massaged the idea into making it a girl group, making it a Barbie competitor and making kind of very loose story elements like synergy being an AI that helps them behind the scenes and kind of establishing the fashion and the, the, the aesthetic of it. And even, even at this early stage, they hadn't finalized a lot of things about the doll. She was originally going to be called like uh, M just yes. the, like the letter M for just for music, right? Yeah, like MTV. Yeah. So uh, it even fits the original theme song. M is, you know, amazing. Ooh, M. M is my name. <laughs> so the toys are like still being refined as they're trying to ramp up production of the cartoon. So the cartoon people are waiting on Hasbro to finalize designs while they're still trying to establish things. And all of this work of like kind of congealing this idea into a coherent story that you can make a TV show out of was done by hero of the week, Christy Marks. So let's talk about Christy, uh, her life leading up to this point before we move forward in the gym story. I loved learning some of these things. As a kid, she would draw skirts and boobs on Robin in order to get a strong female character (laughs) in the comic she was reading at the time. Christy said, I loved Lois Lane, but depending on who was writing her, she was either this crazy, neurotic, jealous bitch, or she was a strong, clever reporter. So it was hard to find the kind of female role models I wanted. I even saw a tweet earlier today that was like about essentially having an epiphany that uh, of realizing that they didn't enjoy female characters growing up. And this was probably because... Uh, men who hated women wrote them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, Marie, does that sound right to you? Uh, 100% correct, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, she also, though, always loved science fiction, fantasy, and mythology as well, especially The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is a little bit of a foreshadow to our next episode. Uh, while living in L.A., she started hanging with people in the comics industry, including Roy Thomas, the at-the-time editor-in-chief, to whom she pitched a Conan the Barbarian story about a romantic relationship he has with a woman. Mark said, because all of the Conan stories are just about Conan being the big, strong, sexual barbarian, 
And there's always the nubile woman that gets dragged along with him on these adventures and then get discarded in the next book. And you never think about them twice. And so I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to tell a story from the point of view of one of those women? You know, what's her experience? And that was my first sale in comics, which I think is fantastic stuff. And so, yeah, she finds out that there's an animation studio that Marvel was using called DePatty Freling Enterprises, run by David DePatty, who she called. And so she called him up and got an interview. And that's when she starts writing on animated television shows for Marvel with the new Fantastic Four in 1978 and then 1981's Spider-Man and Spider-Man and his amazing friends before moving on to G.I. Joe, which was a partnership between Marvel and Sunbow, thus leading to her relationship with Sunbow. So it's a fascinating story where she kind of is just this nerdy kid who was always interested in comic books, and when she moves to L.A., she gets into the kind of burgeoning early Comic-Con fandom. This is the early days of conventions, and she's just hobnobbing with other creative people, other diehard fans, and that's how she gets her foot in the door. And she manages to impress enough people and kind of work her way up through the ranks. She is the uh, she worked directly with Stan Lee on Spider-Man and his amazing friends to kind of originate the character Firestar, as we know it, who is mm-hmm. now a canon member of the X-Men universe. I have like vague memories of that cartoon. And it's just weird that even the, you know, just all these names kind of fade in and out and come back together as we look into the history of this stuff. But. Yeah, Sunbow was working with Marvel Productions to kind of create the storylines and create the the infrastructure on which these commercial cartoons could be made. And so Chrissy Marks really is taking advantage of an opportunity here. She says there was criticism that these animations were nothing but 30-minute commercials for toys. But from our point of view as creatives, it was to make great stories and great animation. And I just think it's so smart. It's like this can be so much more than just a toy commercial. And there, that's why I think Jim really stands out, in my opinion, is that they really swung for the fences when a lot of uh, these other tailored for action figure TV shows really just kind of cynically put put out the same plot line over and over again and just kind of treated kids like idiots. And I think this this treated kids with respect, especially young women. Um, so they bring in Christy Marks and they have this general vision, like we just discussed, of what they wanted. Marks said, they said, okay, it's a girl's property and it's got to be romance and fashion and glitter and glamour and all of this stuff, but... We're afraid the boys might change the dial. So there's got to be action. It was really interesting how they were trying to juggle all of this. And I was watching for that a lot. And yes, there's generally just having the misfits blowing shit up and causing absolute chaos leads to a lot of action. But also, they really did a good job of making those music videos somehow like both like for the for the, the girls, but also have these like big crazy stuff that I think was kind of trying to go for both audiences in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, no, every there's a there's kind of swings in quality depending on the writers, but especially in Christy Mark's helmed episodes, which I think she officially did twenty three of them and yeah. she was a story editor of sixty five, I believe. There's always an explosion or a disaster or some big kind of dangerous situation that right before it gets resolved, they have to cut to commercial. Like uh-huh. she has a real understanding of cliffhangers. Yes. And I think it's uh, because she was quote unquote, the girl in the room in when they were writing GI Joe, she knew what the tricks were. She knew what the format was 
on how to keep kids enthralled. Yeah, also when you know it, uh, girls like big fun explosions and action stuff too. Not to say that, you know. Yeah, I want to see my band come in on hang gliders to fuck up a sign on a building. Yes, of course. That's what I want. That's awesome. Or, or uh, I'm a giant. Oh, to that song? The, yeah. Or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Destroying yeah. a city in a music video. Awesome. I know. I'm like a I'm Godzilla in. King Kong music video. I was like, this is so brilliant. This is just so over the top. That was always my favorite part of every episode is if the Misfits had a um, a, a music video or, you know, whatever sort of like crazy action is going to happen. So uh-huh. yeah, girls like action too. Surprise! <laughs> Who would have known? Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It should be noted that uh, Christy actually researched hologram technology yes. when developing the show. And so... Uh, the Jerrica and Kimber, uh, their last name is Benton, and that is actually based on Dr. Stephen A. Benton, the creator of the quote unquote white light hologram. Yeah. Which is, uh, if you are old enough to remember when Visa cards had a little pigeon on the back of each credit card, that was his technology. Because before then, uh, you could only see holograms using another laser. And before, you know, handheld lasers were a thing. You could only see holograms are only useful in laboratory settings. And so the inventor of the cool holograms that you collected as a kid in the 80s and 90s was the namesake of Jem. Also, Aja and Shauna's last names uh, are uh, Leith and Elmsford, respectively. And they are also hologram scientists. But it's, I just love how above and beyond that is. Where it's, you know, it's such a throwaway thing that like, oh, totally. yeah, 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 they have hologram powers, but like. Christy actually went in and like tried to figure out how to make this work. And it's actually a brilliant uh, conceit within the gem universe that mm-hmm. uh, between the synergy computer and the earrings, all of gem is basically omnipotent, but can't physically affect her surroundings. Uh-huh. So she can summon an army of gorillas to scare away her enemies, but she can never physically like she can't physically attack anyone. Yeah, it's it's like it's like Batman's no gun rules, but she can make him sing. She can make him dance. So there's also that, I guess. Um, Yeah, it's fantastic (laughs) stuff. She also um, also she researched uh, by watching a lot of MTV at the time, back when they used to actually play music videos and just was that was such a big thing at that time. Such a I mean, that really changed the game uh, music videos. So, yeah, she was doing a ton of research on that. And that's why I love that they do the song title and band name credits Mm -hmm. at the beginning and the end of every video. That's what made me the most nostalgic watching this is like, ah, I miss 
actual MTV. That was so much fun. Supposedly MTV, which was still burgeoning at the time, you know, this was the 80s, not the not its peak in the 90s. They would use clips from Jim in usual music video spots because they were desperate for content and that helped promote the show and promote the brand. So Christy Marks also added character biographies, relationship dynamics. She was she came up with Starlight Music. She came up with Starlight House. She came up with the Starlight Girls and the villain Eric Raymond that we talked about before. Before more writers came in, all of that world was established by her. Uh, and then they bring in the other writers. And there's a t- huge amount of talent in this writer pool. I'll just mention Greg Weissman, who w- wrote on Gargoyles. Shout out to cr- co-creator of Harley Quinn, Paul Dini. He was on the writing staff. Ellen Beeman, uh, from, who would go on to uh, work on the Wing Commander games. David Wise, who wrote on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And Marv Wolfman, co-creator of Blade. Yeah. <laughs> Legendary comics writer. He almost deserves his own episode. And he his episodes, Broadway Magic is one we watched, uh, is a banger. It is really dynamic and avoids a lot of the pitfalls that other writers of Gem would use. Because if it wasn't Christie and if it wasn't uh, Wolfman, if it's there's like a select few where they'll just have characters kind of just talk in a room a little too long, like in the Star Wars prequels. It just doesn't have that same pop that mm-hmm. the other writers have had. Mm-hmm. If you want to get into Gem, you should go online and look up notable episodes and stuff because there's definitely like highlights and lowlights to be had. Also, another figure working on the cartoon was uh, crossover Roger Slifer, who we covered in the uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! episode, the ah. namesake of Slifer the Sky Dragon. Uh, he <laughs> right. was co-story editor with Christy Marks and also did a lot of world building. He introduced a lot of stuff like uh, Pizazz's absent mother <laughs> and uh, the weird uh, family relationship between t- uh, tangential characters Clash and Video. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. They're cousins. Clash is aligned with the Misfits and Video, get, get this, she shoots video, <laughs> is aligned with Gem and the Holograms. So... Christy Marks really tried to tell stories that involved a lot of emotional storytelling. And I think it was a lot of that, and her explanation, this is a really interesting quote from her, I think a lot of that had to do with this weird push and pull that the executives were tossing at her. It was like, it's a girl show, but it's not. It's action, but it doesn't. It's a, So she said, they didn't even want me to have a character do martial arts. If you can't have the same kind of physical action, then there has to be a lot of emotional action. That was why I created the triangle between Jim, Jerrica, and Rio. Which is so weird, and we'll talk about that later when it comes to a particular episode. But Marx also said, it's fun when you can have a kick-ass character who can actually kick-ass and be a warrior, but a character can be equally strong in the emotional and mental realm. The thing I like about Jim and Jerrica is that she's kick-ass in that she cares about this entire household full of foster girls, or she's kick-ass because she has a musical career, or she's a music executive. She's someone who's strong and independent and directs her own life, which I believe you kind of spoke towards earlier, Marie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, oh, you mean she was just written as a, as a fully fleshed out person? <laughs> Is that that's kind of a departure from a lot of girls media in the eighties? Yeah. Oh, she was a person with. Oh you know. no, I'm trapped in a castle. Yeah, basically, that's me. what made her different. What, Marie? What are some other things about the cartoon that like stuck out to you, or just like kind of dynamics that you were like, oh, oh, this is something else? Just that she was managing all of those things, and they never brushed it off in a way like the fact that she did run the orphanage, she ran Starlight Music, and she was Gem, like they kept that continuity going. So like, 
in other shows, they would kind of brush off that, like, Gemma was in one place, but Jericho wasn't there. Like, it was always addressed that she was juggling these things. And, yeah. the, like, and that, like, logic persisted. You had to see her transform in and out. You had to see, like, there's one episode where, like, the Gemini holograms, their career's taking off, and, like, they kind of neglect the orphanage a little bit, yeah. and they actually do a storyline about it. So, like, they don't drop those threads. And yeah. that is kind of incredible. Lexi, what about you? Uh, what's what about the cartoons? Watching it now as a full grown, I, I hate to admit this, we're all adult people. Uh, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm still a child. But um, no, I I definitely see now the difference between so many other children's cartoons of that time um, and Jem. It's so much. It's it's not uh, pandering, and it's so uh, kind of soap opera esque with their with their storylines. It's kind it's pretty intense sometimes, or kind of dramatic. And um, I never thought as a kid, oh look at this strong, you know, of course why would I? Uh, but look at this strong woman. Look how well she's written. You know that that wasn't. I I never said oh I like this because I've noticed it. It was just oh this is how it's supposed to be, right? Because when you're you. yes. <laughs> when you exactly. are a child, you're not you know of course analyzing while you're watching it. But you know it's 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 not like oh well you know what I I actually like this because she's uh, written so intelligently. It's just like oh I like this because I can identify, you know, mm-hmm. and oh I can be whatever I want to be when I grow up. I can be a yeah. doctor and an actor, or you know I can be whatever. And there's more than one girl, and they all have different personalities. Yeah, <laughs> like. <laughs> There was, yeah. <laughs> I had a dark thought, uh, kind of watching the shows and then seeing, I, I can't place the quote, but Christy Marks, who has given exten- great interviews, by the way, she is great in interviews, mm-hmm. uh, talked about how Jem is, the fantasy of Jem is just that you can, you know, because Jerrica and Jem are both skinny white women in their early, you know early 20s. Like, they're not that different, but by transforming into Jem, she can subvert all of the, her responsibilities, her past, her uh, obligations. And, you know, the same way that a nerd can, like, identify with Peter Parker and then become the cool, strong hero Spider-Man, Jem's transformation is just like, I want to transform into me without my baggage. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be... Yeah, without your responsibilities. No, yeah. now I can just go have fun I can and just be cool yeah. and have fun without the weight of the world and my obligations just smothering me. Isn't that funny, though? Because Peter Parker doesn't necessarily have the weight of the world. Spider-Man does. And so they're <laughs> transforming to and from, uh, in and out of, uh, too much responsibility. <laughs> no, Aunt May needs her hip replacement surgery, and uh, J. Jonah Jameson is stiffing him on his checks from the Daily Bugle, and how's he going to get out of this? And now the on the police scanner, there's a bank robbery. Peter Parker feels pain. That's true. Peter That's Parker feels pain. <laughs> So also, uh, not just telling, I think, more, um, just more mature stories around women. There was also diversity and uh, in a time when there wasn't quite as much of that. Mark said, part of my responsibility as a writer, especially when creating animation, is to think about what I'm giving to those kids. How do I introduce them to new thoughts and new ideas? And uh, two of the main characters... You are African-American and Asian-American. The foster children have an absolute range of ethnicities. And the show does really just have a decent amount of diversity through and through and and not caricaturized or anything like that either, at least from what I saw. Mark said, by having a wide range of these starlight girls, 
It meant that all of the little girls out there watching the show had someone to identify with, which I think is a really beautiful thought and, and it really, really awesome. Also, in hindsight, it had this major impact on the gay male youth community. And that really was completely unintentional. Mark said, I had no idea until much later how much of an impact the show had on gay boys. What's interesting about that is that the toy designer who brought the initial concept to Hasbro, Bill Sanders, was a gay man. Though his original proposal was for a boy band, was there something deep in the DNA of the concept that somehow survived to appeal to those boy viewers? I don't know, but I was moved by the stories they told me of how they related to Jim, how it helped them survive the difficult transition of being a gay boy before it was easy to come out. They weren't the primary intended audience by any means, uh, but a welcome one as far as I'm concerned, which makes a lot of sense because Jim is dealing with this this big pop personality that she has to hide in these ways while she's Jerrica and she's combating with these two sides of herself. And I think so much, and obviously I can't, I mean, I'm a straight dude, but I think uh, that's from what I've at least been told, that's a lot of the grapple is trying to figure out who the real you is when you're born having to hide an element of yourself. And so as you get older and when you do finally come out, You've got to grapple with these dual personalities that have been created and you try to figure out what the real you is and, you know, between these two things that you're presenting to society to try to conceal one nature about yourself and, just, you know, all this kind of stuff. I, Marie, you had uh, we were we were talking over cold brew before and you had some thoughts on this thread. I mean, Jem is now like as we look back on it, but even at its like in its time, it was campy as hell. Like there is uh -huh. so like, and camp is, you know, very like queer in its origins, whatever. But that, that thread, that DNA was there. It was, it was built into the show. Cause like it, the, the soap opera, the drama, the fashion, everything, it is taken to its logical extreme. It is the most dramatic version of anything that you can do like that camp is built into the bones of the show so i'm not at all surprised that there was a huge gay male following like mm -hmm. uh with when this show premiered that mm -hmm. is not at all strange to me and that it was probably initially conceptualized by a gay man is makes 100 percent. yeah <laughs> yeah i buy into the thread that any franchise that any almost any property that is built on the idea that by just kind of doing a ritual and saying the magic words, you can just completely sublimate yourself into an ideal form mm -hmm. will appeal to anyone who feels like outside or just uncomfortable in their own skin. Right. Whether it's anime with like, or Power Rangers or Gem and the Holograms, just there is a innate desire when you're uncomfortable with who you are to just snap your fingers and just be a perfect self. And that's like one of the most universal desires in the world. Hell yeah. Uh, shit, shit. Uh, uh, remember when Roxy just tried to bulldoze a mansion? <laughs> remember when Roxy was like, ugh, I hate that gem in the holograms. And then Roxy was just like, I know what to do. And just tried to murder everyone. Or like when the... When when the misfits sent that crazy thug dude to like rob oh, zipper the you're talking about zipper and then fucking and then why are they holding a lantern from the 1800s in the first place because <laughs> uh, we are just firmly not in that time period we definitely have invented flashlights by the time of jim and then he just is so just slams into this little girl and sets the whole orphanage on fire and this is episode one i believe <laughs> Great cliffhanger, but yeah, or the part where the misfits um, during the Hawaii episode uh, kidnapped 
one of the one of the ladies and, and leaves them in an active volcano to die. <laughs> you know, they're a rival rock band. What else are you supposed what to do? What else are you supposed <laughs> to sell do? Better, sell way, more records? Gross. Uh, I want to talk about the cast now, uh, at least some of the members. Samantha Newark has a fascinating story. Bizarrely, the voice of Jim and Jerrica, but not the singing voice of, even though she has this storied background in performing live music i it, this will never make sense i mean it does make i will explain why but it still makes no sense to me but she was born in wimbledon london she moved to africa and later the u.s she was inspired by the young scottish singer lena zavaroni uh who was very young by the way we're talking like 10 maybe or something maybe even younger she was inspired to take up singing at the age of seven she was signed to a record deal and was touring by eight years old. I may get the opportunity to speak with her, and if I do, I'm so curious about these years in her life. In America, she signed to International Creative Management at just 10 years old and was doing the state fair circuit before getting cast in the U.S. Navy band production of the musical Annie as the titular role. In L.A., she performed in a production of Sweet Charity and as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, as well as a guest vocalist for the L.A. Pops Orchestra, going on to win the Los Angeles Vocal Competition at the age of 17. All of this before she's out of her teens. She was just 18 when she got cast in the role of Jim. Newark said, I was so excited to audition for Jim, not only because it was an opportunity to break into the voiceover world, but the character was a singer. I felt it was such a great fit for me. I didn't know at the time that all the music side of the show had already been cast and was going to be produced out of state. I was made aware that a ton of seasoned voiceover people auditioned for the role of Jim, and I think I booked it because we were so similar in essence. I really truly was a good kid, a nice girl. I was that Pollyanna archetype in real life, and I think that just read as real to the producers and casting people. How crazy, What she's done more in her career by 18 years old than I've still done, uh, and I'm almost 40. Also, Newark's had this to say. Our reads had to be very real. They didn't want cartoony. They were like, no, we want the kids to look up to you, like you're their older sister or their friends, which I think is pretty spot on in terms of, uh, in terms of the performance and in terms of what they were trying to do. So the reason for this is because the reason that she didn't get to sing the songs was because the music was produced and recorded in New York and Atlanta with the voice actors being recorded in California. And that is what kept it separate because they were using analog two-inch tape. There was no internet. There was no MP3. There was no, you know, and, and, to, and today this could way more easily be done, but they literally had to be separate because they were recording the two different things on each different coast. The singer was Britta Phillips, who did the singing for Jim. She was just 22 years old. She grew up in Pennsylvania. Her mother taught music to Paul Simon, and her father was a musician and songwriter in his own right, and was the one who got her an audition for the role of Jim after she moved to Brooklyn, New York, to pursue a career in music. He was a jingle guy. It was a big part of it. So I think... It being in the jingle world, he was connected to like the the doll stuff a little bit. I think that end of it, and was and is how she got connected to this audition. And uh, yeah, she did a demo for the show's theme song to get the role, and that is actually the recording that they used was this demo. Yeah, the classic theme song that we all can belt at the top of our lungs was the demo <laughs> that was recorded for that actress, and they just decided to use that. Uh, tacit acknowledgement to the second theme song that came out 
which is uh, forgettable and terrible. Yeah, what the fuck? Me Why and did they my friends it? are gem girls. Why did they the change mis- it? Because the Misfits weren't really in the third season. Oh. So, like, they, and but they're in the uh, opening theme song for the first two seasons. Yeah. Like, they're actually, the, yeah, so probably. I'm guessing, maybe, yeah. who knows? That's, yeah, that's, uh, we watched it last night. We ended up watching a, a season three episode, and were, I was like, why did they... The, one of the coolest things for me is that opening song is like so rewatchable. I've, I think I don't think I skipped past it, but maybe once because I just love that whole opening bit. And it uh, feels more like a toy commercial than the original yeah. theme song does. It's a jingle. It sounds like a jingle. Yeah, the first gem, the uh, totally outrageous. The first gem theme song is an anthem, classic theme song, mm-hmm. and the second theme song is just a toy commercial. Uh, which, truth be told, by the time they got to season three. They needed to push toys. Yeah, <laughs> true. Uh, you also have uh, Kathy Ann Bloor doing the voice of Kimber Benton slash Aja Leith. She previously did the voice for Bridget in the film An American Tale. So that's cute. Oh. Cindy McGee did the voice of Shauna Elmsford. This was her first big role, and she wanted to do various voices for other cartoons in the 80s. Linda Danksel supplied the voice for Carmen Raya Alonzo. She was also Sister Anna in the TV series The Flying Nun. So that's fun. The voice for Sheila Jetta Burns was done by Louise Dorsey, who is Engelbert Humperdinck's daughter. What, what are these facts? <laughs> Aren't they amazing? Phoebe Rapture Ash and Ingrid Minx Kruger from The Stingers were sung by Vicki Sue Robinson, who was known at the time for her 1976 pop hit, Turn the Beat Around. What? The more you fucking know. <laughs> and that's all I have on the cast. I'm ready to talk about the music. And the music videos. Unless you want to talk about Engelbert hum- Humperdinck some more. I never want to talk about Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, when, within the community of the voice talent, Britta Phillips uh, does the circuit a lot. Uh, Samantha Newark will show up at cons. And uh, who is the voice of Pizzazz? That's one who, she will just show up for anything. She is like in love with the fandom. That's awesome. And we'll talk about Jim Con Ellen in a little Bernfeld. bit. Ellen Bernfeld. Ellen Bernfeld. If you ever get to see her on a panel, check it out. She oh, is a yeah. sassy broad. Very mid-Atlantic accent there. <laughs> yes, there's, a lot yes. of, there's a lot of neutral accents, but that was very mid-Atlantic, almost like Dorothy <laughs> Gale. You know, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, I will also say uh, whoever did the voice acting on uh, Riot, Townsend Coleman, maybe the what like I know he's not like the the Stingers who are the second evil band that was introduced, not as memorable as the Misfits, but I'm sorry, Mary, I'm doing it. Uh, if you can insert some choice voice clips from the best of Riot, this dude is insane. <laughs> I discovered this rock band called Nirvana. Boy, you're supposed to be playing backup. But I'm better than that. I'm better than you. Get your claws off him. He's mine. Pizzazz. I will not tolerate such behavior. Go home. Go home at once. But, but this isn't fair. You came with me. I come and go as I please. A man as perfect as myself cannot tolerate even the slightest imperfection in his possessions. You are nothing but a bunch of egotistical snobs. We are what we are. Yes, hard to believe three days have passed. Three days, but that's impossible. I I can't believe it. Oh, Ryan, we have to get back. I I have responsibilities, the holograms, the Starlight Foundation. What's the rush, Jim? 
You haven't seen me water ski. Are... are you good? <laughs> I'm terrific. Ugh! Dripping! Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Enough about the voice acting. Let's get into the music and the music videos. Every episode had three fully produced songs with music videos. It's kind of insane. There were over 180 songs in total for this thing. Every act required its own music video song break. It's and uh, they would reuse them a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, stuff like getting down to business, we gotta get the business. <laughs> <laughs> like a dream, I appear to you. It's <laughs> what happened is uh, it got to be a point where they kind of like ran out of song budget and they knew they had to put in old songs and they would have to like rewrite episodes to try and shoehorn old songs into segments and you can kind of see how they do it but still it's an insane amount of content so the music was composed by Ann Bryant and Ford Kinder with lyrics by Barry Harmon Bryant and Kinder also were the composers for the 1980s Transformers series as well as My Little Pony and Friends among other cartoons Harmon was a staff writer on the Carol Burnett show and wrote the Tony nominated musical Romance Romance and he really likes to remind you that he did that He definitely wrote a musical (laughs) called Romance Romance, and it was definitely nominated for like five Tonys. Bryant said, I believe I wrote over 180 songs for Jim. At least that's what my contract called for. And also he said, I was given a script or script outline, but more often a draft of a script, which indicated that three, the three songs for that episode. Often there was a title indicated, though I changed that as often as I kept it. In all cases, the lyrics were written first on the Jim Project. And he, of course, had the most fun writing for the Misfits. It's much more interesting to write songs for the bad guys, as almost any writer will tell you, and more liberating. And you can really feel the fun in those Misfits songs, as we talked about before. Happening behind the scenes Mm -hmm. is an interesting thing, because the music video segments were handled by a separate team then the rest of the writing and storyboard staff. Uh, Will, I can't pronounce this very French ma- last name, but Mugineau <laughs> was put in charge of the music video segments. He worked with a very talented team, including Vicky Jensen, who was uh, ended up becoming one of the directors for Shrek later down the line. But they would get the songs, they would get the scripts, and they would work with Toei, which... Uh, animates a million things uh, dragon ball z i believe one piece classic animation studio and unlike in other shows that we talked about like steven universe where they got full animatics they had to work with storyboards and the reason was if the writer of the episode also had to kind of lay out what would happen in the music video it kind of it was too much and the rest and the music videos wouldn't stand out from the rest of the show 
And their goal was to get these musical segments onto MTV to kind of stand out as their own thing. And there is tons of amazing animation work done on these music videos. Uh, yeah. I, I, please YouTube this, but Universal Appeal, which is a misfit song, has all these crazy special effects and galactic visuals and taking inspiration from MTV. They kind of had to emulate analog video effects on camera with animation cells. And it was this huge creative undertaking. This is where the true animation nerds were really pushing the limits. Or if you're an anime head, uh, lots of Sakuga was present in these music video segments. And for a long time, as I was, Murray, you can vouch for me, we'd be watching Gem and there'd be an interesting cut or a weird expression or just a noteworthy chunk of animation. I'd be like, oh, that's so anime. That yeah, is that's that anime, is as, anime hell. as hell. Yeah. And I just assumed because it was a Japanese studio working off American storyboards that the Japanese crew would just kind of wing it and just do some anime stuff. And other producers have talked about how it was a real struggle for the uh, writers and storyboard artists to keep Toei on model. Because if there's one thing Japanese animators are good at, it's animating a ton of brightly colored, cute women doing stuff and they would have to continually send it back for revisions because this isn't this is just an anime girl you didn't draw gem which has its own 80s kind of fashion glamour yeah, style for sure so i was this whole time i was thinking okay so the japanese animators were going a little hog wild and that's why it's this cool anime thing but it turns out in a uh, documentary that was released with the dvd release uh will mijino <laughs> actually used animes that he had access to, like early 80s animes, like Urusei Yatsura, which we know as Lum by Rumiko Takahashi. He had hand uh, put together tapes of those opening sequence to showcase the kind of imagery and visuals and effects that he wanted in the gem thing. So it wasn't that, you know, Japanese animators were just kind of getting away with stuff. The actual creators were weebs themselves and trying to put anime in gem. And so the combination of like dreamy imagery, pastel colors and anime style uh, effects and cinematography, like they I, I'm stuck on this vaporwave thing. They created what is the current aesthetic on purpose back in the day That's before crazy. it kind of was amassed together by the collective unconscious of the Internet. That's crazy. Those music videos are so rad. Couple th a couple more things about the music. Uh, their general process was Ford would sing and play piano to lay down a demo. Then it was Bryant who would arrange and compose everything in the studio, then bring in the vocals, and then mix the tracks. Jim and the hologram songs were actually orchestrated with real horns, woodwinds, and strings. And uh, Anne Bryant had this to say, I generally had one 12-hour day and one 10-hour day in the studio each week. For the gym show she's definitely one of those people who was like i had a great time but man it was good to be done with that show because it sounded <laughs> like they worked their asses off on that thing britta phillips said it was all very sophisticated and not simple vocally at all i feel like i really learned how to sing doing that and i think that is so i mean if you song for song it is, it is pretty dynamic i mean some of the songs sound samey but i mean especially when they start playing with form the time travel episode where they really try to take on different uh, genres of music. I mean, that stuff, like, not not easy stuff. I mean, pretty pretty dynamic. Ooh, buddy. Oh, it's time for some classic Jake putting a guest on the spot 
treatment. Ooh, do they know they're going to be put on the spot? They didn't have time to prepare an answer, but I want an answer. Marie. I'm always ready with a vocal answer. As a trained vocalist. um, As a retired opera singer. Um, No, no, honestly. uh, So, yes, I'm a trained vocalist. I went to school for opera. Um, Every single song, every gem song uh, is a fucking belter. It's uh, clearly like at the very top of Britta Phillips' range, and she pulls it off every single time. I do not know uh, if she had to sing that live. I don't know how she'd sustain it. But actually, she does. She does. We'll get in a gem con. Um, no, but they're not easy songs at all. She is screaming her face off and managing to make it sound like this beautiful, clear Disney princess sound. It's an incredible feat. Hell like, yeah! Vocally incredible. I love it. Meanwhile, the Misfits songs always have the other misfits in the back just almost making fun of you just being like making mischief <laughs> universal appeal they're just yelling at you because you're so stupid and late. uh ari gold who was the singing voice for char- the character bonnie said you might dismiss the songs as cheesy but they're not the messages are good they're complex they're messages that we still need to hear today that there's really almost a gym song about every situation in life And they're referring to songs like Alone Again, which was about depression and feeling self-conscious and was sung by a character dealing with drug addiction. There was a ton of stuff wedged in there. A lot of stories about what it's like to struggle with, like, not having a dad or these sorts of things. And and especially we'll get into it with Midsummer Night's Madness, which we're about to talk about because I want to talk about some notable episodes from the series. Uh, Really fascinating concept pieces like when... Jim literally fight or Jerrica really literally fights her uh, alter ego Jim in like a gladiatorial battle uh, within the song is to talk about, you know, our own dual personality elements of ourselves and how we have to combat with those things. First of all, the character of Bonnie is insane. She's like a her. uh, I, I can't even get into it, but. Within the first season, uh, they need to get her laser surgery for her eyes. Uh, and in the last episode, it's revealed that she is the child of an amnesiac Vietnam vet who has like a war flashback to rescue her from what do you, what do you call it? Uh, just a violent con man? What? Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> he was like a con man who who knew that if he claimed he was Bonnie's father, he could uh, like basically ransom her. <laughs> so she had to be saved by her uh, her real father, who clearly had PTSD. <laughs> and so let's get into it. Let's talk about some notable episodes we've been watching, Jim, throughout the week. I know you two have as well, Lex. What do you got for us uh, uh, in terms of the things that we saw? Uh, what what were some standout moments or episodes for you? I think that the episode that stood out the most to me throughout my life <laughs> that I will never, ever, ever forget was this drug episode where the character of Laura, who lives in uh, the Starlight House, uh, her parents die. And so she's dealing with so much loss and she gets offered drugs by a really bad teenager named Bobby and um, she takes these pills and she starts hallucinating and Jerrica has to save her and she's like on the ledge of Starlight House and she's about to accidentally commit suicide and that just always always stuck with me because I think I was must have been like four or five and that was the first time I was introduced to what drugs were <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited I'm so excited I'm so 
scared. <laughs> yeah, but this was like way worse. I mean, this must have been like PCP or something. But um, anyway, so I always thought it was Kimber because the character kind of looked alike or they they looked a lot alike they both had red hair and um so after that episode i was always just like man kimber so young just dealing with (laughs) with such horrible drug addiction but uh that stuck out to me as a child however uh this uh this week when we've been watching a bunch of episodes i Man, I think just the beginning, the the very first episode is so packed with all of like everything that we need to know about the world. It we just immediately are immersed, and yeah, just really, just kind of shocking how uh, there's so many cliffhangers throughout the first season as well. And um, we said earlier that Christy Marks is very, very, very good at cliffhangers, but um, yeah, I I think the first. The first one. I I was very stricken, uh, fell in love with definitely Journey Through Time and Midsummer Night's Madness for me were were my favorites. The we've got we've got we've got Jim and the Holograms meeting uh Mozart and he does the <laughs> laugh for Amadeus. You've got the uh, uh Jimi Hendrix. They had to use a different name. I forgot what the name was. I should have written it down, but a Johnny version of Bill Bix or something like that. <laughs> something like that. And and uh, also um, a uh, again they had, couldn't use the real name but uh, Glenn Miller and one of my favorite songs actually was that swing Glenn Miller style song they did in that episode super fun also there's a motherfucking dinosaur at the end <laughs> which is kind of unbelievable it is just I love this type of gym episode where they just really don't give a fuck and are just completely wild with their choices also any episode that features the character Tech Rat is a great episode for me. He is the most hilariously smarmy, shitty nerd boy, and I love how disgusted the misfits are in him because he knows science. It is just so hilarious. How cute are the girls dressed up in those 1940s yeah. costumes and, and the, the 1700 style costumes? Yeah, just... the period looks, too, were really well done, I thought. Yeah. Although in the Midsummer Night's Madness, they go to Athens, I think, yes. for a music festival with the Stingers, and they're like, oh, we're in Greece, and they just dress up in straight-up togas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous. Like but... the locals do. Right. Also, oh, no actor in the entire thing could do a Greek accent. So there's multiple times where they're like, bleh, hello, I am from Greece, yes? <laughs> it, it is an amazing episode. I, she fights her own dual personality, like I mentioned before. She creates a third persona, uh, a brunette named Jamie, to test Rio's loyalty. Also, great episode for Riot, the <sighs> uh, member of the Stingers getting into the mix he's so ridiculous in this episode he's so fun and stupid in this episode and the songs are awesome i just love midsummer night's madness for sure uh marie what about from the episodes we watched oh the broadway episode by far (laughs) um because it was written by marv wolfman right Mm -hmm. yeah so the the writing was just a lot more fast paced there were a lot of visual gags that i just had not seen before it opens with this like dramatic like uh comedy thing where the the guy talking on the phone like uh accidentally knocks the window washer off and it looks like he falls to his death and he's like and then it cuts to he's like only a like it's a two-story building so like there's there was actually no but just like those kinds of visual gags that i just had not seen before and 
uh, just the whole like Broadway that they managed to like, oh, it's a rock band, but no, we're going to make it about Broadway. I'm sorry. The whole like <laughs> rock band musicals thing was nowhere near happening. Like this, that is a trend that came up, what, like 10 years ago, maybe that it started mm-hmm. happening. And Jem did it. Jem did it first. Jem did the rock band musical first. That's amazing. An episode that stands out for me is uh, the World Hunger Shindig. It's not the strongest (laughs) episode. Uh, I think the band breaks up where Stormer and Kimber team up together uh, is another Marv Wolfman one. But like in terms of just the bizarre oddity of the kind of just in terms of a time capsule. Uh, the World Hunger Shindig involves the holograms and the misfits going to a Texas kind of live aid world hunger event where obviously uh, Eric Raymond gets Zipper to do shenanigans to try and like stop them. But they get to dress up in fun Western outfits and all the music videos are incredibly tone deaf. Uh, tone deaf depictions of African poverty and it's done so straight laced where they're just like don't worry you poor filthy skinny weirdos gems here and everything's gonna be okay it also involved literally uh, Zipper tries to kidnap the holograms so that they can't appear on stage for some incredibly low stakes thing that isn't worth kidnapping someone over but I, I think I looked at Marie and I was like Well, if I had synergy, I would just like anytime anyone fucked with me, I would just summon snakes everywhere. And you know what Jem does in this episode? She summons a rattlesnake to scare off Zipper. And I was like, of course, the solution is obvious. Summon snakes like a fucking necromancer with your hologram earrings. That's amazing. So I I really briefly wanted to highlight Jim Con because it does speak towards the enduring quality of the show. It was started by Liz Pemberton, who back in 1990 joined the Society for Creative Anachronism, which was a medieval and Renaissance living history group, and was running events. She, however, rather, was running events for this group by 1992. In the early 2000s, she got into collecting gym stuff, which ingrained her into the fan community, and by 2004, they wanted to organize a meetup. Pemberton was naturally the one to do it, since she had experience with that sort of thing, and in 2005, the first Gym Con happened in Minneapolis on a very small budget with some very dedicated fans. You can get a full synopsis of the first three years of Gym Con written by Liz Pemberton on the Gym Con website. It's pretty amazing because it really gives you a fascinating look into what it's like to grassroots create a convention. And they, she really gets into great detail. Like they didn't have good air conditioning. Like people, they d- did a terrible job of uh, placing it where people could have good hotel stays nearby. It was like really a crazy stressful wild event that just picked up steam as the years went on but that first show had panel discussions about cartoons a fan fiction contest and a class on basic rerouting and hairstyling among other events uh it also ends up yeah it ends up becoming a success and it reaches across three countries two continents for 11 years and counting of course unfortunately due to covid they had to cancel this year's event, but I do believe it will keep going in the future. And it looks like a lot of fun. There's a lot of pictures on the website. You can see the community just looks so fun and positive and accepting and just like a lovely time. So anyways, that's that's my bit on Jim Con. Now let's talk about the mean mad stuff. Did you actually watch the shitty movie, Marie? Twice. What? Twice? (laughs) (laughs) I watched it once just because I had to know. And then I watched it again because my brain went, it couldn't have been that bad, right? I'm just misremembering. Maybe I missed something. And I watched it again. And it it was that bad. 
So, but, but, you know, there's a lot going on there. So please. Yeah. I read a plot synopsis that made me mad. I was like, how could you fuck this adaptation up harder? This is like the most batshit nonsense adaptation of what Jim is. Oh, it's, it's, it's Jim without Jim. Like they stripped everything that made Jim from And the Jim, weird like scavenger movie. hunt. Like why? Because they had to shoehorn synergy in. Right. Okay. But, so wait. So a basic, the basic plot yeah. of the Gem and the Holograms movie, they age the whole group down. So now they're a bunch of teenage girls and they're living with their aunt Bailey, who's Molly Ringwald thrown in there just for like a cameo, whatever. And Jem is, or Jerrica, she's actually Jerrica in, in the thing, uh, is a songwriter, but she's really shy. And she records a song, you know, like singing in makeup, her face hidden, and her her cheeky sister, Kimber, uploads it to the internet, and she becomes a viral sensation. And then they are immediately, like, super famous because of this viral sensation, and Starlight Music, who's run by Erica Raymond, played by Juliette Lewis, who is just fucking chewing the scenery in that movie. She's the best <laughs> part of it. Um, and, you know, normal hijinks, she's evil, like, they want to make the band, so there's a lot of, yeah, but the whole thing is filmed like the, like a, like the Justin Bieber documentaries. Like, Which makes It's sense. a lot of confessional stuff, it's a lot of, like, internet-heavy, synergy is an afterthought, it's, it's, oh, God, yeah, so everything that we were drawn to uh, as children, like, the, the holograms, like, the action, the, the fashion, all of that is stripped away. For this like bare bones like Justin Bieber like esque story and yeah I'm yeah so you mentioned Justin Bieber twice there's a very good Sorry. reason for that Sorry. actually no 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 I'm I'm that's good because there's a very good reason for that back in 2014 after the success of the reboots for GI Joe and Transformers Hasbro teamed up with Universal Pictures for a film adaptation of Jim it was directed shockingly by John M. Chu who is known for directing Crazy Rich Asians a film which was incredible Lexi and I watched the other night had a blast watching now this is the main thing I can't believe this guy is involved in the story Scooter Braun the music producer of the film said he based his work on the film on the career of Justin Bieber who he manages that's why it feels so much like the Justin Bieber documentary God. Also, also, Jason Bloom was the other big producer of Paranormal Activity fame. Also, also, motherfucking Christy Marks, not even, not only was she not involved, she didn't even find out about the movie until it was already well into production. Not only did she not find out about it, but she herself had been pitching Hasbro on yes. a gem reboot for years trying to get that off the ground. Couldn't get a meeting, couldn't make it happen. And and this is, I can't believe Scooter Braun is this hilarious evil villain in uh, my world that is again is disallowing a, a woman from her creative property uh, is a gatekeeper or ba creating a barrier between the two and doing it his own way. Of course, I'm referring to him hanging on or uh, buying Taylor Swift's masters uh, uh, behind her back, essentially, and her not finding out about it until the deal was already done. It's the same shit. Different, different woman. It's, it's unbelievable. Mark said, I do remain mystified that no one reached out to me during the development of the movie. I'd already written a gym movie treatment that would have updated the technology and other aspects of the show without knowing that Hasbro had one in development. I would have liked for one of the key people, such as the writer, to be female. But it was what it was what it was. Because all it was all dudes involved mm -hmm. in the writing and everything. 
But it is what it is, and I hope everyone will judge the movie on its own merits, which they did. Marx also, in a Facebook post in 2014, said, Many people wonder how I feel about it. I don't think I can hide that I'm deeply unhappy about being shut out of the project. That no one in the entertainment arm of Hasbro wanted to talk to me, have me write for it, or at the very least consult on it. I wouldn't be human if that failed to bother me. I say we do this. I say we, we try to connect Christy Marx to Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has the has the star power to get a Jim movie made. She could play Jim. She'd be fucking awesome. And do and, and it would be this massive big deal. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try to just be like, hey, you two were both fucked over by Scooter Braun in a very specifically <laughs> similar way. You guys should definitely get back at him by making this movie happen. It would be the best shit ever. I and then we could all watch that. laugh at this bad 2014 film. Uh, I will say that John M. Chu, after the initial waves of disgust from the early announcements and trailers did fly Christy Marks out to LA to try and like patch things up. And nice. she does have a cameo in the movie. And after that, she kind of was more diplomatic about the response, but still it considering the results, you know, this was a cheaply made movie. The misfits aren't even in it until what happens. There's a mid credits. Spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah. It's like a next and the sequel. They were also going to try and cross Jim over with the transformers and GI Joe movie franchises. But of course that didn't end up happening. How the fuck it, would they have pulled that up? I have no idea. The other fun thing this movie is known for is there was an online contest held to have fans submit videos talking about their love of the oh, original oh, animated this show. Part. Uh, and the winners would be cast in a small role in the movie. However, they just up and changed it later to just make it that these videos would actually end up being featured in the film. But these videos were re-edited to look like the fans were talking about the movie and the characters in the movie. It's not the original show, which pissed them right <laughs> the fuck off as it should have. How unbelievably shitty is that? That's so insane. Like, these fans poured their heart out about how much the original gem meant to them. And it was just all cut together to look like they were really excited about this 2015 movie. And they hadn't seen it they because, obviously, the movie hadn't been made yet. So Hashtag no. free Christy Marks. Let the woman make a gym movie. I want to see it. I'm dying to see it. Uh, I, I don't want to end on a sour note. I have a lovely quote from Christy Marks to close out on my end. Uh, if you guys have anything you want to say as we wrap up our episode on Jim, I had a blast researching this this week. And I thank you both for joining us, Lexi and Marie. No, thank you for having us. <laughs> yes. Uh, any final thoughts before we close out? I'd like to say that uh, I made Holden take a BuzzFeed quiz to see which character from Jim he Who did is. I get? You got Pizzazz! Yeah! yeah. <laughs> the, the winning answer is Roxy. Because <laughs> let me break this down for you. Uh, the misfits represent what Freud referred to as the psychic apparatus, the three aspects of the mind that are constantly in balance with uh, chaotic Roxy, the first one to reach for the murder button, uh, representing our id, our primal lizard brain, uh, that's the fight or flight action. Uh, the ego is represented by pizzazz. And, you know, because she is haughty, she's vain, she's always about kind of uh, making sure that she is the most important figure in the room and that she uh, defeats those that she deems as threats. And the super ego, the kind of higher consciousness that we all try and balance out, is represented by Stormer, who is always conflicted, you know, uh, Pizzazz will be like, hey, shove this orphan in a trunk. And Stormer will be like, oh, gee, guys, I don't know if that's a good idea. Or they'll, she'll hang out with the holograms and be like, oh, weird, you guys don't put cigarettes out on each other's faces? <laughs> I guess that's what real friendship is like. 
And so Stormer is the superego with uh, Jetta, uh, the fourth misfit that was added later, is just some random British lady and doesn't fit this analogy. And I will say Christy Marks herself confirmed this theory, kind of, sort of. Don't quote me on she that on Twitter. She lolled at it. <laughs> is what she did. She lolled. Uh, Marie, uh, any final thoughts before I close out with this quote? Um, I would just like to thank Gem and the Holograms for starting my love of the magical girl genre, which has persisted through my life. Gem was my first magical girl and led into my love of Sailor Moon and led into my love of all of these, like, Female driven, female heavy, diverse character. Like, in, in, like it was the proto show that formed a lot of my like media love now in my life. So just a thank you to Christy Marks for writing that Gem Bob Bible and making this show what it was. Hell yeah. And I'll leave it with this quote. Oh yeah, Lexi? Oh, I was just gonna say, I, don't we all just wanna be magical girls? I mean, at the <laughs> in the end, I, I wrote so many little uh, short stories about girls that started a band. I wrote little things like that throughout my entire childhood. And um, I, I realize now where it came from. And, yeah. uh, you know, to piggyback a little bit off of what, um, what Jake was saying about the Misfits, are they not also mean girls? <laughs> a little bit? <laughs> And maybe Stormer is uh, the dumb one, Karen. I mean, she was always my favorite, so. <laughs> it, is, it does kind of fit. It does actually kind of fit. So uh, here's what Christy Marks had to say to wrap everything up. Even though the music is from the 80s, the fashion is from the 80s, and the technology, God help us, is from the 80s, but the stories still work. The stories still speak, and that, I think, is what makes it still maintain its longevity. Long live Jim! And thank you for everyone for joining us for this episode, thank you again to Camstar VR. Check her out on Twitch. Uh, thank you, Cammy, for having us do this episode. Sorry for the wait. I hope it was worth it. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's all we got. Uh, check us out. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew uh, to support us further. $5 a month for weekly content. We have some new tiers up. We have a new $15 tier up with our Sunday study group. We're literally doing it on the day of this recording. Later this afternoon, we're going to hang out with uh, some fans on the $15 tier and enjoy some research stuff based on our next episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. I guarantee it. Uh, and also twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Uh, Lexi, do you have anything you want to promote? Marriage Test Tuesdays, 9 p.m. And there you go. All right, yeah, on that's on twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Come join us. We always love when uh, Where's the Bruiser fans stop by. Marie, do you have anything to promote? I'm not on the internet. <laughs> Hell yeah, good for you. I wish. Uh, Jake. Uh, I am extremely on the internet. <laughs> Jake? What do you got for us? Uh, just follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung to see all of my flops and floops and mind thoughts, and you will be probably entertained. Love the flops, love the floops. Hey, always remember, keep on whizzing. And never stop bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. 
So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.